One of my favorite shows as I was growing up as a kid was the A-Team. Do you have any other A-Team fans out there? Yeah, you remember? Yeah, you're showing your age a little bit. <laughs> the A-Team, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, was the story about four Vietnam veterans who were framed for a crime that they didn't commit. And the whole basis of the show was basically they were trying to escape the military who was trying to arrest them. And in the midst of all that, they would actually help innocent people who hadn't done anything wrong themselves. And so this A-team of guys, you know, would, would come along and they would sort of save them. Now, the, the leader of it was played by George Pappard, and his name was Hannibal. And Hannibal, he'd always had these wild and crazy schemes, either how to escape from the military or, or how to, you know, help out these people that they were helping out. And it, you just, as you saw this thing, you're like, there is no possible way this is actually going to happen here. But it always did. And at the end of every episode, he would look at the team and he'd say, I love it when a plan comes together. You remember that? I love it when a plan comes together. Now, I bring that up because Merry Christmas, by the way. We are at Christmas time. And for the last couple weeks here at Exponential, we've been sort of looking at just how inconceivable this whole Christmas story really is. I mean, it's just mind-boggling, mind-blowing that, you know, Jesus would come and walk amongst us. And we, we looked at some of the prophecies of, of how he came. In fact, I'll look at that here in just a second. But our human mind says it's not possible. But yet God, I think, was all along going, I love it when a plan comes together. Now, back in, in week one, I was, I was sharing with the, the congregation here. I said, you know, just the, the, the fact that, that God's plan from the very beginning was to send his son to, to die for us. It's just so mind-boggling, so inconceivable. And what we need to understand is the Old Testament of the Bible, which was completed 400 years before the time of Jesus, it has all these predictions or what the Bible would call prophecies that one day a Messiah was going to come, a Savior was going to come to the earth. And the Jews believed this. They said, look, the coming Messiah cannot fulfill just one of the prophecies, not just two of the prophecies, not just a handful of No, he has to fulfill all of them. And these were very, very specific things. Things like where he would be born, how he would be born, his name. Things like that he would be born of a virgin in the city of Bethlehem. Things about Jesus' life. Things like, you know, when he was uh, getting ready to die, that a friend would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. There was things about the Messiah that he would die because his hands and feet would be spiked through, that there'd be these spikes through his hand. And so there's all these, these prophecies. And again, they believe that you couldn't just fulfill one, couldn't just fulfill two. The Messiah had to fulfill all of them. And mathematicians have actually done sort of the mathematical computations of all this, of just how improbable it really would be. Now, for those of you that were with us two weeks ago as I talked about this, does anybody remember just Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies? Do you remember what the number was? One in 10 to the, do you remember? 17th power. Yeah, look at this. 1 in 10 to the 17th power. This is Jesus just fulfilling eight prophecies. For those of you that are listening via podcast, that's a 1 with 17 zeros following after it. Now, let me put that into perspective. How many of you like to go in on Tuesday after Christmas and your boss goes, you're getting a raise? Want to get a raise? Yeah? Man, you guys aren't very excited. Maybe you... Yeah. I went on a raise, right? What if your boss said... Here is your new raise. You are getting $1 million per day. Not a million dollars a year. You're going to get $1 million per day. Do you know how long it would take you to make 1 in 10 to the 17th power at a million dollars a day? It would take you 274 million years. 
Now, that's eight prophecies, how big that number is. What if we double that up to 16? You're going, well, it must be one in 10 to the 34th power, right? No, that's not how it works. See, this is where exponential growth starts to come in. This is actually one in 10 to the, the 45th power. Here, here's, here's what that looks like. The odds of 16 prophecies coming true, one in 10 to the 45th power. It's a lot of zeros. Now, you're like, okay, go help us to put that number into perspective. All right. There are 6 billion people, give or take a few, on the, on the planet right now. If all 6 billion people made $1 billion per day, it would take all of us collectively 457 septillion years to do that. Now you're going, well, what's, what's a septillion? Well, it's the 457 followed by 21 zeros. Now again, that's 6 billion people making $1 billion per day, and it would take us that long to make 1 in 10 to the 45th power. So again, Jesus, he comes along, and he doesn't fulfill just eight prophecies about the Messiah. He doesn't fulfill 16 prophecies, this number here on the screen. And keep in mind, exponential growth. He fulfilled 333 very specific prophecies. And what you need to understand is each one of these prophecies was completed at least 400 years before his birth. So it isn't like somebody could go back later and change it. I mean, by that point, the Old Testament was already being translated in other languages. It had already been circulating all over the then known world. I gave you the numbers for eight. I gave you the numbers for 16. Mathematicians say for something like this, 333, you just, the number is just too big. They, they haven't even been able to calculate that, to put it all out. And they say it is statistically impossible that someone could have accidentally fulfilled all of these prophecies. And so the only conclusion then is that Jesus really is who he said that he was. That this has been a part of the plan from the very beginning. Now, how many of you are like me that you like the plan things? You, you're like very plan person, right? That's me. Like the fact that during the special there, the projector was like going haywire and everything. I mean, that was driving me crazy because, right, we have a plan for how this whole hour is supposed to go. And that wasn't part of the plan, all right? <laughs> for planners, you had your Christmas shopping done in July. Now, how many of you are say, I'm not a planner? You're going, you know, it's only 5.05. We still got, what, a good six hours and 55 minutes till Christmas. I can still get all my Christmas shopping done. How many are, are not the planners? Okay, you're not, you're not the planners. All right, regardless of whether you're a planner or you're not a planner, all of us at times have plans that don't go the way that we want, just like we had here this evening. And when those things happen, it can cause a lot of frustration. It can cause your, your heart rate to go up. I mean, if it's, if it's big things, I mean, it can be devastating. And it can shake your faith. You know, there's some of you that are here tonight that you weren't planning on going through this Christmas unemployed, but that's exactly where you find yourself. Or maybe you're like my family. My father-in-law just passed away a couple weeks ago. We didn't plan on going through Christmas without him. But yet, that's the reality that we find ourselves in. And again, for each and every one of you, there's been times in your life that you're, you're planning on something and it, it just 
doesn't quite happen. And you start to question, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen in my life right now? And what I want to encourage you with tonight is that God is right there in the midst of it. That he sees your pain, he sees the agony, he sees your questioning, and he's going, just be patient. I love it when a plan comes together. And see, this is exactly where the nation of Israel found themselves at the time of Jesus' birth. For 400 years, God had not spoken. There was all these prophecies that one day the Messiah is going to come. But he didn't come, and he didn't come, he didn't come. In fact, for these 400 years, they hadn't heard from God at all. And they're like, God, where are you? Have you abandoned us? Why are you allowing this to happen? Because by that point, the, the Roman Empire had overtaken them there in Israel. Why, God? Why? But then God starts to speak through a teenage couple by the name of Mary and Joseph. Now, if you want to read their story, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1 and then Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it's in those three different chapters that we basically get a, a sort of a summary of all this Christmas story that we talk about every year. But what I want to do this evening is I want to take just a couple moments to imagine some of the, the details, because we don't get all of the details. Because I think if we understood the details a little bit more, we could put ourselves into their shoes and, and feel the emotions that they were feeling and why this whole story is such a big deal. Now, let me be very clear. What I'm about to share, you will not be able to read in the Bible. This is not the gospel that I'm about to say, okay? I'm just going to make up some stuff. But again, <laughs> but again, hopefully, hopefully it'll, it'll stretch your imagination a little bit and, and you'll be able to, to get into their, their shoes. So, for example, one of the things it doesn't say is, how did Mary and Joseph meet? And so in my mind, Mary was the 16-year-old new kid in town. And her parents encourage her to go off to the local synagogue, to the youth group on a Wednesday night. And so off they go to, to youth group, and she's sitting there. And that night, there's this 18-year-old boy, his name's Joey, and, and Joey's actually doing the teaching. And she knows she's supposed to be focusing on God, but she cannot take her eyes off of Joey. I mean, he is so cute and smart. And he knows the word of God like nobody's ever known the word of God. Glory to God, she says. She's just fascinated. Afterwards, she strikes up the nerve to go up and say hello. And she can't get over this guy. He is so mature. In fact, he already has a job. He's self-employed. He's building furniture. I mean, the last jerk that she dated, he was unemployed, and he lived down in his mommy and daddy's basement playing Xbox all day long. I mean, this guy is everything she could ever want. And she leaves that night thinking, I wonder if he has any interest in me. Well, it turns out, not only is Joseph interested, but all week long, he's been thinking about her. He can't get her out of his mind. In fact, he's been praying all week long that she'll show up to youth group next week. And so Wednesday night rolls around. He puts on a little bit of extra cologne. He heads off to youth group. And sure enough, there she is. And they start talking again. And he says to her, uh, would you like to go out for coffee sometime? And she's like, yes. 
But in her mind, she's wondering now, is this like a, a friends getting coffee type of thing? Or is this a, maybe there's something else uh, type of coffee that we're doing here? And so that weekend rolls around and they go out to the local Bright Starbucks and, and they, um, Bright Star, yeah, thank you. I, I worked on that all week. Uh, the, the <laughs> they go out to the local Bright Starbucks and, and they just hit it off. I mean, it's amazing the things that they have in common. And all of a sudden, the, the weeks start to pass by and they keep going out over and over and over again. All of a sudden, all the love songs on the radio start to make sense to them. And they're just like falling so deeply in love. And what she doesn't realize is that he's actually saving up some of his carpentry money to buy a ring. And then one night under a bright moonlit sky, he gets down on one knee and he says, Mary, will you marry me? And of course, she says yes. And she goes home and she tells her mom. And then her mom like turns into some like monster, right? Doing all the planning for this wedding that's coming up. Now, again, I just made all that up, but something had to have happened, right? Well, what I want you to see is that these are two teenage kids. They're wildly, wildly in love, and they have plans for the future. They're, they're going to get married. And like all engaged couples, they, they start to plan things like, where are we going to live? Are we going to rent? Or are we going to buy? Are we going to have kids or not? And if we are going to have kids, how many kids are we going to have? And, you know, is, is Mary going to stay at home to take care of the kids? I mean, they're, they're doing all the planning that people would typically do. But then one day when Mary's by herself, an angel of the Lord appears to her and says, Mary, you are highly favored by God. And you have been chosen by him to give birth to a son in the next nine months. And she's like, to use another 80s catchphrase, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> She's like, that, that can't be, because Joseph and I, we have decided to, to follow God's law, and, and we have not had sex. We're, we're not having sex until we get married. And so it's impossible for me to have a child in the next nine months, because the wedding's still a couple months away. And the angel says, it's not going to be Joseph's. And she looks at him and goes, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> he says, the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And this child that you're going to carry will literally be the son of God. Now, I want you to put yourself into to Mary's sandals, we'll say. Put, put yourself in, a, in her sandals. There, there's one part of you that you're excited I've been chosen by God to be the, the mother of God in the earth. But yet there's also that part of her that's going, uh-oh, i got to go tell Joseph. Um, Joseph, uh, I talked to Maury Povich, and you are not the father. <laughs> now, put yourself into the mind of Joseph. Do you think he's all excited about this? Or is Joseph freaking out? Let me hear you. Excited or freaking out? Freaking out. He's like, me and my boys, we're going to find who this Holy Spirit guy is, and we're going to put a cap in his skull, right? <laughs> Again, can you feel it? See, we know the end of the story. 
We know how it's going to end, that it's all going to work out. But put yourself into the, the mind and the emotion of these two teenage kids. They're so in love and they have all these great plans for the future. And now this has happened. These are real people, and their plans have been utterly rocked. And so we read this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was engaged to marry Joseph, but before they were married, she learned that she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Mary's husband Joseph was a good man, he did not want to disgrace her in public, and so he planned to do what? He planned to divorce her secretly. Joseph is devastated, he's humiliated, he's broken-hearted. I mean, if we read between the lines here a little bit, the invitations have already gone out. He's already paid a lot of money for the ring. He's already put a non-refundable deposit on the banquet hall that they're going to have their reception at. And he's thinking, how could she do this? I loved her, I trusted her, I was saving myself for her. How could she do something like this? But even in the midst of all that pain, Scripture here says that he was still a good guy. And he decided that, you know what? I don't want to humiliate her. I'm not going to disgrace her. And so it says that he decided to divorce her quietly. Now you're going, wait a second. They weren't married yet, so how are they getting a divorce? Well, what you need to understand about that day and time and that culture was that the, the wedding ceremony was just sort of the, the symbolic uh, to, to everybody else, a decision that you had already made. It was when you got engaged that you were now legally bound to that person. So the only way out was a divorce. And in that day and time, divorce was a huge, huge no-no. I mean, basically your life was over and Joseph has got to be thinking, I was just trying to do the right thing. I was just trying to please God. I've been teaching at the youth group. I've been dating this girl and I've been honorable with her. I've been sleeping with her. But now this happens, and now I'm going to be a divorcee. My life is ruined. And you know, Mary, she was probably thinking some of the same things. However, there was something about when the Spirit of God or when the angel of God talked to her that the Holy Spirit was going to impregnate her that was a little bit different. Her faith is just amazing. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. And I am willing to do whatever he wants. May everything that you have said come true. Again, that is incredible faith because she realizes that she's going to be a divorced, single mom. But yet she says, if this is God's will for my life, then that's what it needs to be. And again, I realize that some of you have come here tonight. And you had all these plans for your life. You've had all these plans for how the Christmas season is going to be. And it hasn't worked out that way. You know, your marriage or your, your family relationships have been going really, really good all year long. You're like, okay, finally, this year it's going to be the Christmas that, you know, nobody blows up, nothing happens. And then just a couple of days ago, you had a fight with your, you know, your parents or you had a fight with your spouse. Or you're like, you know what, I'm planning on this year. I'm not going to get into debt for gifts like I normally do. And so everything was planned out financially for this Christmas. But then recently something broke down, fell apart. Now all of a sudden, your financial plan has come to ruin. There's some of you here today that you weren't planning on going through this Christmas battling cancer or another ailment of some sort. You weren't planning on going through this Christmas fighting depression. But yet here you are. Here you are. 
that the plans that you had have not come to be. But here's the big thought for tonight. And if you don't get anything else out of tonight, I hope that you get this. I put it on your outline this way. I don't need to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. Let me say that again. I'll need to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. I hope that that speaks to you in some way. You may not understand it all, but God does. In fact, Scripture says this in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. See, Israel had in their mind what it was going to look like for the Messiah to come. They had a plan for the Messiah. That he was going to come and he was going to overthrow the Roman government. But God had a bigger purpose for the Messiah. Mary and Joseph, they had a plan for their future. But God had a bigger purpose for their child. Joseph, he has a plan that I am going to divorce Mary. But an angel comes and says, no, there's a greater purpose for this whole situation. In fact, let's look at what the angel said. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, while Joseph was still thinking about the divorce, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream. And the angel said, Joseph, the baby that Mary will have is from the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and marry her. And then after her baby is born, name him Jesus, because he will do what? He will save his people from their sins. There it is. The whole purpose of Jesus being born into the earth was to save people from their sins. Joseph's going, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that God is in all this? That the very thing that I would least want in life is the very thing that God actually did want? Are you telling me that there is a purpose for my pain that I'm going through? And you can almost hear God speaking in some of the other verses throughout Scripture. My ways are greater than your ways. My thoughts are bigger than your thoughts. That I am working in all situations to do good through those who love me, who have been called according to my purpose. So church, let me say this to you again. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. You know, I look back at my own life and if it wasn't for a broken leg at the age of 12, I'd have never become a Christian at the age of 20. I wouldn't be standing here on this stage tonight speaking to you if I had never become a part of the Churches of God General Conference denomination. And I would have never become a part of that denomination had I not got laid off from my best and most productive ministry I've ever been a part of, Purpose Driven Ministries, back in 2006. I mean, for them, I got to travel all over the United States and Canada and train churches, train pastors, had a lot of influence. But yet God said, I need you to be laid off there in 2006 so that one day in 2017, you can stand on a stage before a crowd of people in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and proclaim my message. See, in my lifetime now of being a Christian and, and training, I've been able to lead hundreds and hundreds of people in a relationship with Jesus. I was able to train over 10,000 churches, 30,000 church leaders. Just through this church, we have been able to invest back into the Harrisburg community over $100,000 to help with people in the community. And that's just in the seven years that we've been here. We're just a small church, but yet we just keep loving this community like crazy, serving them in any way that we can. But none of that would have happened if all my plans had been fulfilled. If things had gone the way Gilbert wanted them to go, none of it would have happened. And so I can stand before you today and say, I am thankful that all my plans got ruined, that all my plans got wrecked, because God had a bigger purpose for my life. 
And I want to say the exact same thing to you. I don't know what it is that you're going through here this evening, but God does. And it may not be the plan that you wanted, but he knows what you're going through and he has a purpose for it. And he's going to be glorified through it if you'll just be patient. I say this all the time here at Exponential. We have a choice any time in life when, when things go bad. You can either become bitter or you can become, become better. It's your choice, bitter or better. And so when you're going through rough times in your life and your plans have gotten ruined and they've gotten wrecked, you need to say, God, I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen right now. And, and I wouldn't ever want to have to go through this again, but I'm going to trust you. I have faith in you that you're going to take all this stuff that looks like it's so terrible and you're going to turn it around and you're going to use it for good. And so that's what I've been praying and hoping for you guys all week long is that whatever it is you came in here tonight with, that you would understand that you don't have to understand the plan in order to trust that God has a purpose. Now, once Mary and Joseph realized that, okay, God is actually a part of this, the temptation would have been to think, oh, well, since God's in it, everything's going to go smooth from here on out. But if you know the story, she's now pregnant. It comes time for her to deliver. And where is she? She's on the back of a donkey, riding along. You would have thought that God would have invented like the first hotel, or not hotel, the uh, first hospital and like no pain medicines, you know, no epidurals, right? Or she's just going to sneeze and now pops Jesus, right? It was going to be easy. But no, she's riding on the back of a donkey. And then they finally roll into town and Joseph goes, oops, I forgot to make reservations. And so they have to go out into you know, in our manger scenes, we make it like a barn. It was a cave. They have to go into a cave, and there's barn animals there. And it's there in the midst of all that that God himself is born into the earth. Now, if this was a made-up book, we would then conclude it with, and then they all lived happily ever after. But again, if you know the story, right after Jesus' birth, Herod, who is the king of Israel, he's like, wait a second, these, these guys have come along, these sort of wise guys, and, and they've said, there's another king that's been born, and he is king of all the Jews. And Herod's like, wait a second, I'm the king of the Jews. And he orders the execution of all male children three years old and under. And so now Mary and Joseph find themselves on the run. They flee down to Egypt, and they live as refugees for a couple years. Now fast forward 33 years later. And there's Mary, this woman who we read earlier. She said, I am the Lord's servant, and whatever it is that he wants me to do, I'm going to do. And there she stands and she watches as her son is stripped naked, he is beaten, he is whipped, and ultimately he's nailed to a cross. And she's got to be going, this isn't fair. He didn't do anything wrong. She watches then as Jesus breathes his last breath. He says, it's finished. I can only imagine that as a mother, she fell to her knees and started sobbing. Why, God? Why? Why would you allow this? It's because our plans don't mean anything. Ultimately, it's all about God's purpose 
And why did we read earlier? What did the angel say to Joseph? Why was Jesus born? What was his purpose for being here? What was it? To save us from our sins. That's the whole reason he came. And you see, his purpose has a name. It's Bob, it's Mary, it's Sue, it's Frank, it's Ralph, it's Fred, it's Jane. In other words, his purpose for being here is your name. His purpose for being here is you. Jesus lived the perfect and sinless life that you can never live, and then he died on the cross for the life you are living. See, we're all sinners. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that only perfect people can make it into heaven. Anybody here want to make the claim that you've been perfect in your lifetime, that you have never messed up even once? Nobody, right? None of us have been perfect. But yet only perfect people are allowed to go to heaven. You're going, well, then what's going to happen to me when I die? Because as far as I know, Gilbert, there's only two options, either heaven or hell. And that's true. It's heaven or hell. But you have to be perfect to make it into heaven. So none of us deserve it. And none of us can earn our way there. We can never be good enough to, to do right for all the wrong that we've done. So that's what Christmas is all about. That God himself said, since they can't do anything for themselves, I'm going to be born and walk amongst them. And I'm going to live a perfect and sinless life. And I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to shed my blood so that their sins might be forgiven. And it's only by putting your faith and trust in that very basic message that you can have eternal life with them. And so let me leave you tonight with two things, two gifts for you this Christmas. The first one is this. You can have peace in your life no matter what you're going through right here, right now, if you'll just simply not try to understand the plan, but trust that God has a purpose. But then don't just think about this life. Think about life to come. Think about all of eternity. And again, Jesus says, here's my gift to you. It's me. Jesus says, I'll die for you. And here's what you need to understand. Even if you were the only sinner who had ever lived, Jesus would have still come and lived the perfect life and died in your place. That's how much he loves you. Again, we called this series Inconceivable. Because it's just so inconceivable, all the, the numbers that I shared with you earlier, that it is no accident that Jesus was here. He was really who he said that he was, God in the flesh. And see, that's the most inconceivable part of this whole story, is that God would love us enough to come and die for us. And so thousands and thousands of years ago, people made these prophecies that one day a Messiah is going to come. And then 2,000 years ago, thousands of people saw Jesus walk this earth. And they saw him do the miracles. And they heard his teaching. And they watched him die on a cross. And then they saw him alive again. That's the good news of what this book is about. It's not about being a good person, doing the right thing, doing the right thing. It's not about any of that. This is just a summary of how it is that you can be made right with God. And again, it's nothing to do with you. It's just in simple faith saying, Jesus, I've messed up. I've sinned against you. I need your forgiveness in my life. And I need your leadership because I'm tired of trying to do life my way. And so I'm just going to give my whole life to you. 
Since you gave up your life for me, I'm going to give my life back in return for you. And again, that's the greatest gift that you can have here this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this opportunity we've had together together to worship you through song and, and worship you through the preaching and teaching of your word. And Lord, I pray this evening that uh, if there's anybody here this evening that came in and, and, and life just feels like it's falling apart, that it's just a wreck, and that their plans aren't going according to the plan, Lord, I, I pray that they would understand that they can still trust that you have a purpose in all of it, and that they would choose to become better because of their situation and not bitter. And Lord, I also would uh, be remiss if I didn't um, just look around this room and, and realize that there are probably people here this evening that don't yet have a relationship with you. That if they were to die tonight, that they, they wouldn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're going to spend eternity with you in heaven. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed here this evening, if you have never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you've never asked him to, to come in and be the leader of your life, to take control of your life, and you're ready to surrender your life to him and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die, that you would go to heaven. If that's true of you, could you raise your hand up nice and high so I can see it here tonight? And I'll acknowledge it, and then you can put it right back down. Yes, sir, down here, thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be the leader of my life. I need you. I'm tired of living life my way need your forgiveness. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I were to die, I would spend eternity with you. Anybody else here this evening? Anyone else? Quickly, quickly, quickly. Anybody else? I don't see any other hands. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me, though, out loud. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth in the form of a little baby, humbling yourself to become one of us. I acknowledge tonight that I haven't been perfect and I need your forgiveness. And so I'm thankful that you didn't remain just a baby, but you grew up and lived a perfect and sinless life and then died on the cross, shedding your blood so that my sins might be forgiven tired of doing life my way. And so I ask you to send your spirit to come live inside of me, to lead me, to guide me, to direct me, to show me the ways that you'd have me to go. Jesus, we do thank you that you came to the earth and, and you did die in our place and Lord, for the young man that, that made a decision here this evening and maybe for others that didn't raise their hand, I just pray that you would give them that assurance that they don't have to earn their way to heaven. They can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you died for them and that they are forgiven. And that if tragically something should happen this evening on the way home, they'll spend all of eternity with you. Give them that peace. Give them that assurance. Lord, for everybody else that's here, there may be some that, they're like, okay, I, I heard Gilbert what he was saying, but I'm not quite ready uh, to make a decision like that. And so, Lord, I, I pray for, for those people that you would just help them to continue to sort of kick the tires on this whole thing called Christianity, to open up the Bible and, and start to read it and to start asking questions and to continue to come here to church and just explore. Is this whole thing for real or is it not for real? And Lord, I pray that your spirit would 
convict them and convince them of what is true and what is righteous and what is pure. They would ultimately make a decision for you before that day of death comes for them. Lord, none of us know that day or the hour, so help us not to delay in seeking who you are and what it is that you did for us and making an informed, intelligent decision for ourselves whether to believe or not to believe. Lord, thank you that you made that clear to me July 27, 1993, and that because of that decision, you have now used me and you've wrecked a lot of my plans throughout life, but you've used me for your grander purpose. And I pray that same thing would happen for each and every person that's here under the sound of my voice. That each and every one of us would realize that we are called to be difference makers here on this earth and that we use this one and only life that we have to go out and make an eternal difference. Use us, God. Use us through the power of your spirit and through the power of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.